This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and UpSnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me, rejoining me on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. Listenership spans to 145 countries, 220 TV, radio, terrestrial satellites, and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. Before introducing my awesome guest of today, I just want to, as I always do at the top of the hour, I want to once again thank my corporate sponsors, inclusive of AHA That Forever and Halton Honda. I also want to remind people that following the live show, you will eventually find the podcast link, my guest of each week, on my host page, also living fearlessly with Lisa McDonald on the C-Suite Radio Network. So who is my guest of today? Well, what I can tell you is my guest is a fantastic person who's become very near and dear to my heart. He's a gentleman by the name of Michael Levitt. Michael Levitt has spent over three decades serving Fortune 500 companies and small business organizations. Michael's career has spanned from public accounting, IT management, to leading multiple healthcare organizations. Michael has worked with multiple government agencies and is certified in lean healthcare. Michael is the author of 369 Days, How to Survive a Year of Worst Case Scenarios, and is the CEO and founder of Breakfast Leadership, Inc., breakfastleadership.com. The Breakfast Leadership Podcast, which is ranked in the top 200 business and marketing podcasts on iTunes. Based out of Toronto, Michael holds a bachelor's degree from Walsh College in Michigan. Welcome, my friend. How are you today? Hi, I'm great, Lisa. Good morning, everybody, and great to be on the show. Well, it's fantastic to have you here. We talked about getting you on the calendar months and months ago, and here we are. Finally, today has arrived, and we were just talking before we went live. We were talking about our little planes, trains, automobiles event when you and I kind of did a little quick in and out to Atlanta. Do you want to tell the listening audience what that was all about? Yeah, that was that was an entertaining. Um, I don't even want to say twenty four hours because it really wasn't. Uh, we, um, you know, we we flew down to Atlanta to be in a documentary, which I believe is coming out in the spring. The last time I heard, so looking forward to that. And the the exciting thing about it is the interview itself took place in the middle of nowhere. Um, now those. <laughs> It was a nice establishment. Don't get me wrong. It was. I, I'm assuming it was a golf course because we arrived at the dark of night, and all we saw was a couple cabins. And you know, I started thinking about you know banjo banjo music and you know and 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 Bubba and you know everything else. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, where am I? I'm in the deep woods of Georgia. This is this is horror movie stuff. And you know, I am. I'm going to film a documentary. Okay, you know what kind of documentary? Although we knew what it was going to be about, uh, but it was such an adventure, and I'm really looking forward to the end result of that because I think it's going to be really moving for you know the audience to be able to see you know your stuff, my you know my talk, and you know the you know dozen or so other people that participated that we didn't get to see because we basically popped in like a Hollywood superstar and got <laughs> ushered out. Um, I, I think that Uber driver is still waiting for us, uh, <laughs> just for the audience, just you know, to entertain a little bit. 
again, because this was in the middle of nowhere, the, the place where they were filming was in the kind of back part of this new resort, I guess is the best way to describe it. And of course, the the Uber driver could not find it because it was so new, it really didn't register on any GPSs. So we were waiting for you know one of the attendants at the resort to come you know grab us in a, a golf cart or something <laughs> and they were you know of course you know and i you know i've got family from the south so i'm not, i'm not saying this to judge but you know there's people that work in a new york pace and there are people that work in a down south pace we were down <laughs> south so we're going we got an airplane to catch and because it's an international flight you need to be there a couple hours before and go through security and all that fun stuff and at the end of the day, we're going, mm, where is this guy? And, you know, we asked, okay, you know, how, you know, how long of a walk is it? And, you know, one person would say, oh, it's a five-minute walk. And other people would say, oh, no, it's good, good 20, 25 minutes. <laughs> so, here, you know, we're both in business attire with luggage. And we're like, oh, yeah, let's go trouncing through the woods of Georgia to see if we can find <laughs> that place that we saw once last night in the dark. And hopefully the Uber driver is still there. Well, thankfully, we were able to get a ride from another uh, person. That was no, it was, it was remember it was the guy oh, that yeah, yeah, actually yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy that was uh, from North Carolina that was That's right. uh, there. So he was kind enough to give us a ride and to you know the front and you know there the Uber driver was still there and then we we were able to get to, to the airport and flown safely back to um, Ontario, Canada, and <laughs> here we are. Here we are. We made it. We're alive yeah. to tell the tale. Exactly. So, we survived the Georgia woods. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you recap that beautifully. So I just want to very quickly give a little bit more backstory because this show is all about synergy and co-creation and, you know, no coincidence uh, as to who it is that you align with. So you and I met at another work event. It was the PD app in Toronto. And um, so you, there was a seat right beside you. I sat down beside you. We hit it off instantly. We started talking about mutual connections and what you were doing and what I was doing. And then we realized we had certain people in common. And one of those people, of course, being Jeffrey Hazlett, because we were talking about C-suite and stuff like that. We talked about LinkedIn and, and you were like, I think, one of us said, I think we're already connected on LinkedIn, or let me just take a look, because I, I know some of the people that you're mentioning. Sir, and then it turns out that we're actually connected on LinkedIn. Then we realize a whole host of other connections surrounding us in terms of one degree of separation. Then I did email introductions. Now you're part of the C-suite. And then we now we're on radio together and I'm coming up on your show, which I can't wait for. And then we had this like little adventure off in in Georgia in the woods (laughs) and uh, we're part of that documentary together so I just want to say Michael you know this is just once again reinforces as you can attest to you know the more focused you become the more clear you become the more you align with like-minded people who I refer to and of course it's not original but vibe attracting tribe and you know in terms of what you have brought to me in the personal business realm and just following you and watching how diligent you are and how all in you are and how invested you are and how quickly you're scaling and your new book that's come out. We're going to talk about all of this stuff. So I just want to first say it's such a treat and such an honor to have you in the wheelhouse and uh, to be connected with you and to call you friend, peer and colleague. And just to say that I applaud you for everything you're doing, because what you are doing specifically signature to you and your brand is very, unfortunately, it's always going to be relevant when we talk about burnout and personal health 
health or lack thereof. And uh, your messaging is quite beautiful. So let's talk a little bit about the backstory because that sets the tone for how people can glean and understand where this journey uh, was birthed out of and why these subject matters are so pivotally and profoundly important to you. Well, thank you. And, you know, I completely agree with you on on the vibe and everything else is when you have clarity, you naturally attract people to your life and you see people as clear as anything you could ever see. Um, it's like getting a new prescription. If you, you wear glasses as a new prescription, it's like, wow, I didn't realize I was that blind. And it, it, it really gives you clarity and it it makes a gigantic impact in how you scale your business and how you serve others. And it, it's it, it's just the, the steps are just orchestrated like it's the exact step you need to take at the right time. And it's I, I, it never ceases to amaze me, you know, and, and the things that I've been able to accomplish with you know, the guidance and the help of, of very awesome people in my life, mm-hmm. including yourself. So thank you for that. Yeah. So the, the, the backstory um, on, you know, why in the world do I care about burnout? You know, it's, I got other things to go on, you know, I'm a healthcare <laughs> executive, you know, I went to Orlando, you know, I get lost in Georgia all these things. I'm like, why is burnout so, so crucial for me? Mm-hmm. And it goes back and I'm not going to go back to, you know, to day one, but there's a lot of things that led up to my year of worst case scenarios, uh, which, you know, which I, you know, is a subtitle for my book. Uh, in my background, of course, was, you know, originally it was public accounting and I did that for about a decade and then rode the IT wave uh, during the dot-com era uh, when mm-hmm. things were absolutely crazy in the 90s where literally I was in Chicago and would be placed by a recruiter uh, in an IT job. And the recruiter would call me six months later to make sure that I really loved the job because he had six other jobs that he wanted me to apply for. Mm-hmm. It was absolute zany. Um, and what, it was great from a compensation standpoint because every role that I took in order for me to be enticed to leave where I was at, you know, the, the financial situation had to be you know worthwhile and the benefits. And, you know, again, back then there were handing out everything to specialized coffee and ping pong tables and everything else that was going on, stock options, you name it. It was absolutely chaos. It was fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, of course, um, that bubble burst, like, you know, most things, what goes up must come down. And then after that, you know, I, I, I saw the writing on the wall and I thought, okay, I need to find something a little bit more. I guess, safe if that's exists, which quite frankly, it doesn't. But Mm -hmm. back then I thought it did. So I found a hybrid type of role where I was able to be kind of in a controller type of role and also um, still be involved a little bit in the IT side of things. But I did that combination, so the IT and that hybrid role, again, for about another decade, and then moved to Canada uh, in mm-hmm. 2004. And then in 2007, an opportunity came up in the town that I was living in for uh, a leadership role with a new startup medical clinic. So I applied for it because I had a lot of startup experience. I had zero healthcare experience other than basically being a user of the system occasionally. I didn't go to the doctor a lot. Mm-hmm. So so launched this business and uh, was pretty much pedal to the floor um, from the start up until my final day. Uh, and basically, I was getting emails from 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And I was constantly on the computer, constantly working, constantly doing all of these things. And I never shut down uh, because I felt, okay, th- I was hired. This is a startup. I need to get this up and running. 
There's a lot of long hours. I know this won't be forever. Well, it certainly felt like it because I was doing it for you know several years and it didn't let up even though it really could have. Mm -hmm. I think there were factors involved with the leadership of the organization um, wanting and being driven to want something really great um, for the community. And I don't blame them for that. I, I wanted it too. I was in alignment with that. But unfortunately, it was it was leading to some very, very poor choices, both from uh, mistakes that I made and health issues uh, and, and stress and ultimately burnout. Now, I had really significant burnout. Everybody on the planet except me knew it. I didn't know that I had burnout. I didn't really know what burnout was. Um, but I had it, you know, after looking back at everything that was going on. So basically what happened to me in... The spring of 2009, uh, I was mowing my lawn, uh, and it was after work on a Monday. And my lawn wasn't that big, so I had an electric mower because I didn't feel like messing around with gas and, and whatnot. So, you know, But it was a really bulky lawnmower to turn. It didn't turn real well. So sometimes you had to lift it a little bit. And I lifted it, and I felt this really sharp pain in the center of my chest. And it persisted if I ever lifted anything with my right arm. So I thought, wow, I pulled that muscle really good. And it ached all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so fast forward to Thursday night, went out to dinner and ate way too much food, way too much. It was one of those deals at the local restaurant where it was all you can eat. And I took that literally. And, <laughs> and I just kept eating and eating. And well, that night around 10 o'clock, uh, that pain that I similar had on, on Monday was extremely severe. You, you hear people that say that they've had a heart attack that feels like an elephant was on their chest, and that's exactly what it felt like. For me, I blamed, you know, okay, this is some serious indigestion. You know, where, where's the bottle of Tums I need to consume at all because this was <laughs> So, I, you know, I popped down two or three of those things and was finally able to go to sleep. But then – Next morning, that pain was still persistent. You know, the one that was only occurring when I lifted anything with my right arm, well, it was Mm -hmm. consistent. So, went into the office, which, again, was a primary care medical clinic, and I was talking with a physician that was working there that day, and I explained to him, you know, what had happened during the week. And he said, you know, just let me listen to your chest. We'll see. And he listened, and he had this perplexed look on his face, and he said, okay, you know what, it's probably nothing, but we've got the equipment here. Why don't we Why don't we have you do an, an EKG? So we're going to hook you up to the portable EKG unit, EKG unit that we had, which is ironic because I purchased that unit when I bought the equipment for the clinic. <laughs> so I'm going into the procedure room, and I'm just terrified at this point. I'm not terrified about my heart or my health. I'm terrified because I have to take my clothes off in front of my coworkers. <laughs> and they're laughing and having a great time and making all kinds of harassment jokes. I mean, you know, Me Too wasn't there in 2009, but it, it, it should have been, but it wasn't. So they they were just being, uh, they were having all kinds of fun with the boss. I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably as, as red as a tomato at this point, but they hook me up. Um, so they're cracking jokes and they run the test and they look at it. And they go, you know what, this is, you know, we haven't used this equipment very often, thankfully. So what we're going to do is we're going to disconnect everything. We're going to hook up the leads to you again, and we're going to run the test again just to make sure maybe something's off. So, okay. 
So they did it, and they got the same result. And they looked, and they're like, okay, this looks like it you know, is correct. So they sent off the report to Dr. Gina down at Hotel Degrees Hospital in Windsor, Ontario. And after they sent it off, um, get a call back from Dr. Gina's office, talk to the physician. And then the doctor came into my office because I already got dressed and went back to work. And he said, okay, uh, this is what Dr. Gina had to say. Tell Michael to get his butt down to the hospital right now, and he cannot drive. Wow. So at that point, I'm like, hmm, okay. So that led off to me going to the hospital, and I was there for a week um, due to uh, it was a Friday that I went to the hospital, and the cardiologist team wasn't working on the weekend per se because of funding, availability, you name it. So Monday comes around, I'm thinking, okay, finally I'm going to get checked out. But they had such a backlog over the weekend, they didn't look at me until Tuesday. And um, basically one of the challenges that they have there is the the cardiologist that did the, um, basically the looking in my heart couldn't operate on it. They could go in and take a look and see what was going on. So basically they, they had to go in twice. So they went in on Tuesday and they looked around and they found uh, two significant blockages in my left anterior ascending artery. That's known as the widow maker uh, in the cardiology mm-hmm. world because mm-hmm. if people have heart attacks with that artery blocked, they don't tend to survive. Wow. I'm not. You've seen me. Yeah. Touch me. I'm. I'm alive. I'm here. Yes, I, you I, are. I, I haven't gone anywhere yet. Um, so. So basically, I had a, a heart attack that, quite frankly, should have killed me, but it didn't. Um, so I was 40 at the time. Um, I was really popular in the cardiology ward at the hospital because I was the youngest person by far there, and I was easygoing. I was like, okay, you know, that's I don't need anything. They had me hooked up to an IV. I wasn't in any pain, so I was relaxed. You know, there were patients in there that obviously were in a lot worse shape than I was, so the nurses love me because I wasn't bothering them for anything. Right. So, so the, on the Wednesday after they discovered the blockages, they had to go in again. And, uh, Dr. Morsey went in and put two stents in my artery, um, which cleared up, you know, the blockages. And, you know, to this day, you know, everything looks great with the heart. The heart's really healthy. It's healed pretty much. Um, it's very difficult for them to find any type of scar tissue. In the heart, which I'm very, very fortunate on, because oftentimes when you have a heart attack, portions of your heart may die and not you know work anymore. But uh, my heart is fully functioning, so I'm very, very thankful Beautiful. for that. Yeah. Uh, my cardiologist jokes when he has his heart attack, he wants one like mine, and <laughs> and I'm looking at him going, "You're a cardiologist, you're not supposed to have a heart attack. You know what? Am I supposed to listen to you? What kind of guidance are you giving me?" Um, no, I've got, I've got, I've been very fortunate. The cardiologists that I've had in my life have been all, all stars, highly recognized, really good. Um, so I've been very well taken care of. Fantastic. So that was, so that was the first domino. Um, now, so I had 17 weeks off of work. Um, and, uh, during that time I was able to learn how to relax again. Cause that was a big thing about being burned out. You forget how to relax. Mm-hmm. You don't you don't take care of yourself. Um, you're so focused on doing, 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 doing that you don't take time to just be. And I think that's a common problem we see in a lot of people that are burned out today. And I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but 
a common problem I think that people have that are experiencing burnout is as a, as a society, we have forgotten how to be bored. Any moment that we have uh, any instance of potential boredom, we're grabbing our smartphone and we're looking at our smartphone. We're going on Facebook. We're looking at something. We're commenting on something. We're sending an email, sending a text, you name it. We're constantly doing something. I'm, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you keep speaking, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to challenge you on the boredom word. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. That's good. I'll make a note of it myself. So, so I got my 17 weeks recovery and I went back to work to a job that I no longer had. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the organization um, wanted to go in a different direction. I had made some mistakes. Um, they wanted to, um, like, like I said, go in a different direction. So here I am, 17 weeks after a heart attack, and now you know, I lost my job. Now, a reminder, this is 2009. This is the tail end of the economic recession. Mm-hmm. I'm down in Windsor, which is a sister city of Detroit, which two of the three big automakers went bankrupt and were were lucky to survive if it wasn't for government intervention and bailing them out. And it would have been devastating to Detroit and Windsor was devastated by it. Uh, So here I am trying to find a job in a job market where there isn't a lot of jobs out there. So it took me a long time to find that job, which I did, um, but it required a relocation to Toronto, which I wasn't really keen on. Uh, because I'd worked in a big city before, you know, I worked in Chicago for, for several years. Uh, and I really didn't want to work in, in uh, the big city again. Uh, but I had to find a job. You know, I had to, you know, obligations, family to support, all of these things. So I finally got the job in Toronto in, in the spring of 2010. And was up here for about six weeks. And then I got a phone call from my oldest daughter. And she was crying and I couldn't understand what she was saying. And finally I was able to get from her. Uh, that the bank had come and repossessed the family vehicle. Hmm. Now, when you're unemployed for several months and you're getting unemployment, you have a choice between eating and paying a car payment. Um, you're going to eat. Um, yeah. and, uh, and that's just, you, you need to survive. Yeah, I'd worked out arrangements with our banks and our creditors and whatnot, you know, indicating what was going on. Um, but, and they were very flexible. Uh, for a period of time, but, you know, that time ran out and that's basically what happened in that situation. So, you know, the, the bank you know, took, took the vehicle, you know, it was their obligation, their right to do so. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, you don't, you don't make your car payments. The bank's going to want the car back and that's fine. And I, and I completely understand that, you know, throughout all of these things, I never blamed anybody mm-hmm. because the common denominator in all those situations was me. Bingo. Was me. It was me. Mm-hmm. So, so after, thankfully we had another vehicle that I had up in Toronto. So, um, you know, that, so about a, this is about five weeks later, found a place, uh, to move everybody up to Toronto. So we had the movers, got everything moved up, got everything set up. And we realized that we forgot the bunk bed ladder for our daughter's bed at the old house. Mm-hmm. Now we we were it was ready to go on the market. It was actually going to go on the market in about a week and a half. So I was going down to Detroit to visit my brother, and I said, "Well, I'll swing by the house and I'll go grab the ladder and I'll walk around the house again see if there's anything else that we had forgotten." Um, so visited my brother and then stopped by the house and opened up the screen door and saw the largest padlock I've ever seen in my life. 
You can't buy these padlocks at Home Depot. I don't oh. know where I don't know where they sell those. They are gigantic. And there was a note that said foreclosure. What's funny is I never got anything in the mail from the bank saying this was about to happen. I don't know what happened with that because usually my understanding is you get some nasty grams in the mail and finally they do it. So I looked at it. I said, and and it's in my book, and it amazes people when I talk about this. It's like at that particular moment, I felt the greatest amount of peace that I've ever felt in my life. Wow. Because I knew that I had survived all of that stuff in a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I lost my health. I was healthy again. Lost my job. Got a new job. Lost her family vehicle. Still had a vehicle. Home was foreclosed. Had a place to live. So, Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was like, okay. You know, right. I didn't. I didn't say, "Is that all you got?" You know, I didn't want to do a Muhammad Ali, George Foreman type <laughs> of thing, like because you don't ask that question. Is that all you got? No, don't, nope. don't, don't, don't challenge. No, no. So, so I closed the door and backed out of the driveway and headed home and called home and said, "Yeah, about that bunk bed ladder. We're not gonna be able to get it." <laughs> Thankfully, well, you know, Rachel can sleep on the top bunk because she's a monkey and likes to climb anyway, so it's a natural thing. She'll get up there without any problem. So that's what happened in 369 days, and so that took place from 2009 to 2010. Since then, uh, I've reinvented myself mm-hmm. uh, from pretty much the bottom up. It's not easy to reinvent yourself it's not an easy thing to do you have oh to i re- know michael i know <laughs> and i'm sure many people are listening are going you know no. going through similar situations mm-hmm. they it's not easy but you have to take a step back and look at it from a non-judgmental point of view mm-hmm. and you also have to give yourself grace and permission to feel you know the experiences you're feeling mm-hmm. or mourn what had happened and then you know, learn from it and go, okay, what do I need to change to hopefully prevent those things from happening again? Absolutely. So I did. So mm-hmm. I did. And I reinvented myself, how I approach work, my life, physical health, mental health, you name it, everything. And after I've done that, and, and you know, over the last, I would say, four years, you know, I, I pretty much had mastered everything and how I go about my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't get burned out. Um, I know what the signs are if I'm getting stressed so I can make the changes. And, you know, I'm really, really good at using a medical term, triaging my calendar Mm -hmm. and and really being diligent about doing my best not to overbook it. There's going to be times where it's going to happen, but at least if it's hit or miss and not all the time, then at least you have a fighting chance. So So I reinvented myself. And then working in the healthcare industry again, which my parents wanted to have me committed for going back into the field that nearly killed me. <laughs> um, I told them, "No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be fine. I'm gonna be fine." And I am. You know, I've, I've, mm-hmm. I've grown professionally and personally. And um, I, you know, I get to sit at government tables and planning. And I was at a conference in Orlando just a, you know, a few days ago. You know, working with CEOs and all kinds of other different people in, in the sector. So it's. Um, you know, I, I do amazing things. And, but the thing that I noticed, especially with my counterparts over the last few years, was a lot of people were going down the same road that I did. Mm-hmm. And it scared the crap out of me. 
So I started, you know, I don't want to say I sounded like Chicken Little. All right. <laughs> People, the sky's falling here. I see it. You don't. We need to fix this. How are we going to go about this? And it, it more or less fell on deaf ears because I think a lot of people don't necessarily see the patterns of how they live and how it's impacting what they're doing. So I thought, okay, I need to go about this in a different way. So I just started researching content as far as stress management, burnout, the signs. And you know, the, the research that I've done over the last four or five years was alarming on how prevalent burnout is and it's just starting you know to be you know talked about you know thankfully you know thrive global talks about ariana you know is is a pioneer and a champion Mm -hmm. of you know don't let burnout do this stuff to you and she's constantly and you know everybody that writes on there um, is doing great things to bring it forth Uh, forbes and other other areas too are starting to bring about it but the one area that is a big passion of mine is physician burnout. I'm not a physician. Um, I don't care to be one. Um, I barely passed biology. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that the teacher just passed me because he didn't want to see me again. Uh, <laughs> statute of limitations. Uh, but thankfully, uh, I, you know, because I work in the healthcare and I work with physicians, you know, I, I see what's happening in, it, in the States. It's and downright an epidemic. You know, I've mm-hmm. spoken spoken at a couple healthcare conferences about it. I'm speaking next April at the Becker's conference in Chicago on physician burnout. And my concern is, as a society, we're getting older, we're living longer, our health issues are getting more complex. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have enough healthcare professionals around to take care of us, we are going to be in some very deep trouble. Absolutely. Uh, Physicians are burning out. Physician suicide is alarming. Mm-hmm. Nurses are leaving the profession. New nurses, they, they work a couple of years and they say, I can't do this. And they leave. Mm-hmm. Like, and and like we're robbing our society of great medical clinicians because they're burned out. And it's, it's alarming. So I, I've been working diligently on coming up with ways to really get to the cause of why people burn out in the first place. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing, you know, the discoveries that I've seen. And there's a lot of commonalities, but there's also a lot of variances. And that's what makes it so difficult for um, organizations and you know, medical journals have been writing about it for some time. Actually, the there's a book that came out in 1974 titled Burnout um, that a psychologist or a psychiatrist wrote. And the go-to standard for burnout assessment, you know, a clinical assessment tool, first was released in 1981. This is not new, but, right. it's, but it seems to be more amplified now. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's, that's the challenge that we face as a society. And it, it boils down to, you know, a, a lot of common factors that I see. And there's some, you know, some easy but hard to implement changes that people can make in their lives to help ease it. Well, I'm chomping at the bit here because I got tons of stuff I want to ask you and I want to circle back on a couple things you said. But first of all, I want to say I'm so glad that you're here for us to be having this conversation. And I'm so glad that as a result of what you experienced, you leveraged that experience. You, rather than dwelling on it, turning it into a victimology mindset uh, or still you know, feeling like you had to abstain from taking risks and jumping in and, and testing the water on new things so as to reinvent and rebrand yourself, uh, you thought, okay, I can still do this, but I can do it 
smarter, I can do it with moderation, and I can do it without compromising my health. So I want to say bingo to you, and congratulations on that. Uh, What I also want to say, Michael, is it's one thing for somebody to have experienced what it was you experienced. And we know that when we experience life-altering moments, either as a result of, you know, losing someone we love, a death, or something specific related to our own health, or something that just jars us out of our day-to-day grind. So we know that it can be one of two things, or we know it simultaneously can be two things combined. So in terms of you having that wake-up call and being fortunate to actually wake up, to have a wake-up call, um, when within that epiphany-type moment did it go from wake-up call to transcending into okay, I have a purpose here. This has become crystal for me. I know what I'm now on a mission to do. And not just for myself going forward in terms of preserving my health and maintaining it, uh, but I know that I don't fall into the same category of being the only person who has fallen prey to this type of lifestyle, this type of grind, this type of uh, toll on my body. So when did it? when did the wake-up call for you transcend into the reinvention process in terms of rebranding, reinventing, repackaging, and hitting the pavement hard to say, okay, look, we got to deal with this as a collective. I think it first came to light, I would say late 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, I just uh, started uh, with a new medical clinic uh, at that point. And what was funny is, you know, I'd taken, been taking care of myself. Life was good. Things were moving well. Um, I was learning. Um, I was reading again, which was something that I enjoyed doing in my youth and then got away from it. And um, and even in the book, real quick, you know, one of the things I tried to do relax prior to the heart attack was I went to the library to just take a day and, and just kind of relax. And I grabbed a book and I couldn't relax myself to read it. That's how mm. wound I was. So that fast forward now, you know, I'm, I was able to be reading books and, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I read you know, close to 60 books in a year. So I read okay. a lot um, and I use what I learned from that to, you know, share with others. But 2014, I think, is when it really started to come clear to me because life was good. I was in a decent executive role. I was navigating through some challenges at that organization. I was really making some big impact, um, and I was on government planning table. So I was viewed as a leader mm-hmm. and actually was put through a, an advanced healthcare leadership program uh, through Rotman School of Management that uh, a division of the Ontario government paid for. Um, sorry, taxpayers. Yes, they spent ten thousand bucks on me, um, but it. W- but you know what? It's it's been beneficial because I've I've sat at other planning tables in helping design what the future of healthcare will look like, mm-hmm. not only in Ontario but you know I, I go to international conferences as well. So I, it it's something that's very passionate to me. But it was 2014 when I started noticing my colleagues uh, really going down that path, and I thought, okay. I cannot let my experience of what I went through be bottled up and and filed away on the shelf and say, okay, you survived it, you're over it, congratulations, move on, Mm -hmm. which I have. I'm like, there's lessons in there that need to be shared. Mm -hmm. So I thought I I just had to start talking with people and, and sharing my concern for them. And they're like, no, I'm fine. I'll be good. Now, most people weren't aware of my story because I, I, while I didn't hide it from the public, I wasn't on Facebook all the time posting about everything. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a case of 
you know, the book itself, the concept of actually writing and, and journaling what had transpired, the idea started to come in 2015. I'm like, you know, I should probably write about this just to so I don't forget about it. Because as we get older, we tend to forget things. At least they mm-hmm. tell me they do that. So <laughs> at least I think they told me. I forget. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I... So, you know, so the book, of course, came out, you know, in September of uh, 2017. So it's been out a little over a year now. But I, you know, I made the decision to actually start writing it in in 2016. So it 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 took some time uh, mm-hmm. to 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 come to fruition. Um, and I I wrote that book with the premise to say, like, okay, this is what happened to me, and now here's where I am. Mm-hmm. Because if people see me and talk with me today and meet with me at conferences and things like that. You know, I don't wear this big 369 days badge on me anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. My, my stents are inside the artery. I don't, I don't demonstrate it. I don't, <laughs> I don't, you know, wear the victim card. Um, mm-hmm. I never did throughout all of that. Um, and those are some crappy things to go through. I mean, I don't want to sugarcoat that. That was a bad year, mm-hmm. but I never played victim. I'm like, okay, this happened to me. Great. Mm-hmm. What do I need to do to recover and do what I need to do to recover? And that, you know, that's the takeaway for anything. Anything that happens to you, okay, figure out, okay, what do I need to do to get over this or through this or by this? And if you can navigate that way, you'll overcome anything that gets thrown at you. Uh, it's, I, it's, I wholeheartedly it's, concur on that one. Absolutely. And every, you know, the people in a space of who you and I know, who we interface with, Everybody's got their own individualized, unique story, but that's really the the common denominator of what people end up walking away saying is, if I can get through this, or if I can do this, or if I can launch that, regardless of what my circumstances are, and knowing that it's a choice, you know, certain things that happen to certain people throughout the course of their life, maybe once upon a time as a result of their age or whatever, they didn't have an infrastructure of support, or they weren't able to contrast the difference of what is so-called normal, and there is no normal, but in terms of going, okay, healthy versus unhealthy, functional versus dysfunctional. So when you get to a point where you start to get a taste or you get a glance or you get the experience of being able to go, oh, this is how it can be? Yeah, this is how it should be. And then it becomes a question of your own uh, self-worth and deservability because it is our birthright, I believe. We've talked about this personally and professionally. I believe it's our birthright for everybody to take advantage of the fact that even being here is a miracle and it's a gift. And I think for anybody who squanders it and doesn't recognize how fleeting it is, uh, we're all going to go. Um, I think we just keep going and going in different life forms, and that's a different story altogether. Um, but for the time that we get to enjoy the here and now in the realm of space, we understand it to be, you know, why not capitalize on that? Why not take the time to get to know yourself, realize what your strengths are, what your passions are, what your purpose is. And generally, most people who I know who have an inherent purpose understand it's for the collective good of all. It's, you know, taking the mission, the plight, the whatever, and raising the consciousness of the masses so that people too can go within themselves and go, you know what? Yeah, there's no special ingredient. You know, it's not born to a select few. It's a choice. 
So what can I do to bring meaning to other people's lives as a result of valuing and appreciating and being grateful for my own life and, and making something of myself? Doing something with what I have in my realm of skill set or mindset or connections or whatever. I mean, and people say sky's the limit. I say beyond the sky's the limit. So what I love about you, Michael, is you've totally bought into that. You subscribe to that wholeheartedly. You wouldn't be who you are doing what you're doing, the space of what you're doing and, and anchoring so many people up and empowering other people to empower themselves and bringing that level of awareness to the forefront. Because as you say, you having been a zombie in your own life once upon a time, everybody saw the signs and the symptoms except for you. You were completely oblivious. You were non-objective. You were too immersed in it. And as a result of that, being back and forth, back and forth, up and down, and that became the existence and the reality of your day-to-day, yeah, something's got to give eventually. So I am so glad that you're here. I'm so proud of you for what it is that you're doing and what you are, uh, you know, blueprinting on other people's hearts, souls, health, and uh, literally and figuratively. And I just want to say that this is why you're on Living Fearlessly. You totally stepped into it. People like you who do what you do and are committed to doing what you do, not just for yourself, but for other people, you truly are living fearlessly. You're playing a bigger game. You've leveled up and you're making it work for you. And by working for you, it's working for everyone else. So to me, it's a total win-win scenario. And I couldn't be more proud of you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And I, I enjoy the heck out of my life now. You know, mm-hmm. and it's and I easily could have said, you know what, I'm just going to be a healthcare executive. Mm-hmm. It's a good job. It's a good mm-hmm. job. You know, give, it has its challenges, but as does everything. And I could have just said, you know what, I, I survived it. I take better care of myself now. Life is good, and just you know, let all the carnage take place around me, or mm-hmm. I can choose to make myself. I don't want to say uncomfortable, but dedicate a lot of time and effort within boundaries, of course, to, you know, launch breakfast leadership and have a podcast and write books and blogs and speak at conferences, all of these things uh, to, you know, to spread, you know, the message of burnout can be prevented. And I don't want anyone to burn out. It's not fun. It's, Mm -hmm. it, it ruins your life. It ruins the life of your loved ones. Your organizations lose a great employee, your family, friends, you name it. it it's got this huge ripple effect. So when someone says, yeah, it just impacts me, it's like, no, it impacts all kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And I want it eradicated. And it, and I want you know everyone to take care of themselves first because you can't pour from an empty glass. And that's Very what true. I was doing. That's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know. Now I make mm-hmm. sure my glass is full and then I have overflowing. The overflowing. Drinking from this author. Exactly. And you know, getting my shirt all wet and having to change and then <laughs> and like, oh great. Washing yeah. your hair, you know. <laughs> oh that's not a problem I have. <laughs> I just realized you don't have hair, you're bald. Yes, I, I, I dye my hair bald. But you wear and, it well. I am thankful that my head is shaped the way that it is because I, you know, I, I know people that 
also do it and it's um yeah i they I, they probably would be better with but hey who's to judge you know right we're, we're I, all well, beautiful. I, I think i think baldness is attractive i mean everyone's got their thing i i think it's very sexy myself but anyway um so i want to give you an opportunity again being cognizant of time where can people find you where can people listen to your podcast and what's new and upcoming on the calendar where can people come see you speak uh you know if they want to do some one-on-one uh consultation with you if they want to buy your book so let's you know this is your minute to shine here where can people get all your your good stuff sure uh thank you for that um breakfastleadership.com is kind of the the home for links to everything uh Mm -hmm. the the podcast which is titled breakfast leadership uh is part of the c-suite radio network Uh, Mm -hmm. there's a link on breakfastleadership.com to go find it as well it's also available on itunes Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, I forget wherever else. TuneIn, Dropout. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty much, yeah. It, it, short of just being, you know, in in the sky all the time, it, it's pretty much everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, so you can find me there. I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Just look under either Breakfast Leadership or Be Fast Leadership. Pro mm-hmm. tip, don't put that on a license plate. Um <laughs> that's uh, just uh, just saying don't do that um and the the book 369 days you can find that on amazon if you're in canada uh, indigo has it in the toronto area there's still a few copies at chapters in indigo uh, barnes and noble i know in the states has it especially in columbus ohio because i was there at a book signing event not too long ago so they have copies there but you can order it online as well um, and as far as what's coming up, um, I'm speaking in April at the Becker's Healthcare Conference in Chicago, um, which is really cool because I'm speaking on a panel, or actually I'm facilitating the panel uh, on physician burnout. And there's some really heavy hitters on that panel, um, executives from Kaiser Permanente, the Cleveland Clinic, a variety of other huge healthcare systems in, in the U.S. So it's uh, definitely an honor to be able to speak at that conference. And what's really cool about that is that two of the keynote speakers, actually three, uh, there's three keynotes that are awesome. Uh, Former President George W. Bush, former President Bill Clinton, and Katie Couric. Um, Wow. And and actually on my wall in my office, I have this little cutout from a desk calendar from years ago, and it's a quote from Katie, and it says, a less than dream job can help you find your dreams. And I hope that I remember to grab it because if I do get an opportunity to talk with her privately for a moment, I'm going to have her sign that because that's been on my on my wall for years. Uh, it's just one of those things where it gives me focus to say, okay, focus on your dreams, and once you do that and really you know put the time and effort in, they'll come mm-hmm. true. Well, and that's another example. See, I I love this because what you put your attention on grows stronger and that could be for the positive or for the negative. So the fact that you have had that visible in your periphery and you've been sponging that up and it's been resonating with you and, you know, you have sponged out of that the message in which it can work for you. And now she's on your radar. She's going to be on your radar. And so, there, you know, this is, again, the clearer you get with your purpose, the clearer you get and you get focused and you get all in and you go, okay, yeah, of course, this is achievable. Of course, this is obtainable. You know, and that's not to suggest that it's it's going to happen overnight. It never happens overnight. But because you are committed to that mindset every single day energetically you've emitted that out into the universe and i believe the universe has our back i totally believe that and because you're 
receptive mode is open, this is why things are flowing to you. This is why you're magnetizing all this yummy stuff that's showing up. That coupled with hard work, it doesn't just fall in your lap. And it's not just about ideologies and professing and stuff. You actually have to take actionable steps every single day and be able to measure the barometer of your own growth to know that you are, in fact, going in the right direction. You are, in fact, on the right path. And so I love that Katie Kirk example because this is the stuff that starts to happen, boom, bomb, you know, pop, 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 one right after another. You know, it's no coincidence. The clearer you get, all these things that people want to deem to be, you know, coincidence. No, it's synergistic alignment. And because you believe so firmly and so staunchly in it and you live your life accordingly, it shows up. It shows up. So this is amazing. What would you say to the listening audience and the podcast subscribers uh, in terms of, you know, any real nuggets of information, wisdom, uh, any Anything that you would want to impart to them to have as their takeaway, their breakthrough outside of this yummy conversation in itself and it being very uh, profound in so many levels. Uh, but what, what you know, if you could say a couple of words or a sentence or two, what would that be? What do you want people to learn the most or take away from this conversation the most, Michael? What I want people to do is grab a sheet of paper and write down five or six things that they truly enjoy doing they love it it they renews them gives them so much fun and energy could be vacation going to a coffee shop whatever mm-hmm. list those things and then draw a line next to it and then next to each of those items write down the last time you did those if it mm-hmm. hasn't been within the last week you have an issue yeah <laughs> I love you have an issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, if it's you know vacation in you know Tahiti or you know warm climates and stuff, okay. If if, if you can go every week to there, um, um, please adopt us. Uh, but <laughs> if if not, at least you know the, there's a few things that you can do every week, and you should um, right. because you uh, you want to re-energize yourself and do things that are really good and nurturing for you. Because once you do that, then you operate from a better place and when you do that then everything flows easier mm-hmm. you know I, and I, I i see it time and time again with people that i work with and myself i i i, I notice it and i notice when i don't do those things what happens so mm-hmm. uh, i you know i using an it phrase i'm eating my own dog food so i do it too love it <laughs> Well, Michael, I just want to say it's been an absolute honor and a pleasure and a gift to share this time with you. I always enjoy our conversations. I learn so much from you. I'm always scribbling my own notes with every guest who I have the honor of interviewing because, you know, we're all students of life. It doesn't matter if you're a so-called influencer or an agent of change or a thought leader. You know, those are labels. But at, at the end of the day, we're all students and there's no limit to what it is we're supposed to be learning on a day-to-day basis, especially if we're committed to always being and improving upon being the best version of ourselves each and every day. So there's the, the, the education, the insight, the wisdom, the perspectives, uh, the myriads of different ways of looking upon things and, and extracting upon it and seeing what fits and incorporating that into our own lives. Uh, there's no limit to that. So I just want to say thank you for being a staunch, uh, well put together exemplary example of walking the talk and doing it consistently. You're welcome back on Living Fearlessly anytime, as you know. I want to also thank my listening audience and podcast subscribers and my sponsors for once again taking time out of your day uh, for Living Fearlessly. 
with my guest of each week and myself. My purpose, which I'm very clear on, is to uplift you to fear less and to live more. And I want to wish everybody a safe, awesome weekend. And I look forward to being back here with you again next Friday. Just to remind you, the podcast link of the interview following each weekly show with my guest can be found on my host page, Living Fearlessly, with Lisa McDonald over on the C-Suite Radio Network. Love and gratitude, my friends. You too. Michael, all my best, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.